welcome to the FX Church Podcast. We are glad you joined with us today. We are in our third week of our summer series in the book of Joshua titled Inheritance. And uh, right now we are in an inheritance battle in terms of the mess we've inherited and the future that uh, we're striving to see happen. And uh, the terms are set. God's told us what the consequences will be and what's coming. The question is, will we embrace what's true about what God says, or will we try to demand new terms with God, which never works out well? Um, You know, we find ourselves in waiting like God's people were at the time that the book of Joshua was written. They'd been waiting 600 years for the promise of an inheritance to Abraham. They'd been living 400 years in slavery. They'd been wandering 40 years in a desert. And they're clinging to a promised inheritance that everybody that was wandering in the desert that last 40 years would never see in their lifetime. All the while, they're being told to be strong and courageous. You know, I wonder if we would still believe and lead others to believe in God and in the fact that the name Joshua means Yahweh saves or God saves and his promised inheritance if we were really in the mess that God's people had been in. We are, in some sense, in some of the things that we face from our past and our futures, but not like they were at this time. And so I hope this book will be an encouragement to help us remember the promises that God's given us of His inheritance. The real theme verse of the book is in chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. You know, God is doing battle, as we've said the last several weeks, with our version of the promised land that we want versus us embracing the promised land that He says only He can bring through uh, His ability and His strength one day. And so He wants us to be strong and courageous. But it's kind of the already but not yet that we know God is fulfilled some promises. He showed us who He is. He's already done that, but not fully yet. And so we have to be strong and courageous in the midst of this in-between. You know, they've been waiting, and this week, as we dive into this next section in in Joshua, it's time for them to step out and go. And the title of the message this week is, So That All May Know Him and That They May Fear, or that you may fear. And that's what he says at the end of chapter 4, that all may know him and that you may fear. And really, that's what God wants. He wants people to know him, and he wants us to have as his people an awe and a reverence for who he is and what he's done in our lives. So let's dive in. Joshua chapter 2, verse 23. We finished up kind of at the end last week. It says, Then the men returned, came down from the hill country, and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicked because of us. And last week, we looked at panicked and promise. And, you know, they had just returned from spying out the land. Rahab has asked, it was a prostitute who, who took them in and saved them and then asked for her and her family to be saved, which they were. And we looked at that, and we'll see that again um, coming, coming up when they do battle in the, in the city of Jericho. And if you missed that message, I would go, encourage you to go back and, and hear what, what God did 
uh, through Rahab and, and what he revealed to his people in the midst of the panic and the promise that they were facing. But we dive back in that now these men have returned and they're bringing word back to, to Joshua uh, and telling him everything that had happened and saying, hey, we can, the Lord has handed this over. The people are panicked. Notice they're not saying we can do it and, and we uh, in our strength can make this happen. But, but the Lord, that it's Yahweh, it's the one who's in charge that, that can do that. And really, it's interesting because Joshua sends out two men. And if you read back in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, it was Joshua and Caleb that 40 years later or earlier had been sent out with the 12 spies and they came back and, and gave a good report. And in Numbers, chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said the, to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. And so Joshua and Caleb were the two that only two that got to go into the promised land. Everybody else had passed away, and Joshua and Caleb had kept their strength into their old age, and now they're leading the people. We'll see about Caleb later in the book. And here they were 40 years earlier, begging the people not to go down this road. And you know, as, as, as a minister, as a human, as a parent, as, you know, in relationships, you do this. You, you say, look, I know God's promises. I know what he wants. I'm, I'm, don't do this. Don't go this direction. And people go the direction they want, and, and it just kills you inside. And it makes you doubt everything. It makes you struggle sometimes. And yet, God is faithful. And Joshua and Caleb showed that they could be faithful through 40 years of captivity that they didn't deserve, that they cried out to God that it wouldn't happen. But once God's decision was made, they knew that he was going to make himself known, that all would know through it, and that they could still have awe and fear of him in the midst of it. And they needed to get the next generation ready. And man, what a message for us. We don't need to create panic for God's people. We need to give them confidence in the truth of his promises, all the promises, not just the positive ones we like, but even the promise of death on this side of eternity that we need to be ready for. You know, panic can cause us to forget instead of to, to know Him and fear Him. And we can end up fearing outcomes instead of fearing God. And you go on in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests... That's the Old Testament priesthood of the tribe of Levi. You must break camp and follow the Ark of the Covenant, or follow it, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. You got to remember the Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence dwelled in the mercy seat, and it was considered a holy object, and, and, and there was a, a distance to that holiness that the people had to respect. And and so in this moment, he says, look, you're going to follow the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to see it. You're going to go out after it. 
but 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 keep your distance. Be careful. Have a fear and awe of a, a reverence, but know that 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 God is leading and that people are going to see this ark and and it's a an amazing stepping out. And so the religious leaders called them to break camp and follow Yahweh who saves. Joshua, Jesus' name is Yahweh who saves. And it was Jesus who said, come and follow me. And so a generation that was wandering in the wilderness 40 years gave their lives as a ransom to get this generation ready to enter the promises of God. And they say, you know, you haven't traveled this way before. You know, that's a loaded statement. He's saying, look, there's, there's a lot you don't know, and so you better be sure you're following God and, and following the, the people that are leading you, because if you don't, man, it could be treacherous for you. And, and really, when you say following the Ark of the Covenant and the priests, you know, the Ark is, was one of the most significant objects of worship in the Old Testament. Each thing inside the Ark represented something. And really, each thing inside the Ark of the Covenant represented something about the people's mistakes and sin. If you remember, the Ark was made of acacia wood. It was covered in, with gold. There were two cherubim on the top of the uh, mercy seat or the lid that was, that was gold. And, and then inside it were some items. And really, what's interesting is Jesus is a great symbolism and parallel of how Jesus fits with the ark and the things in the ark because it was said that God's presence would dwell between the two angels on the ark and inside the ark there were three things there was the manna in a golden bowl and we know that in John 6:33 that um, when Jesus fed the 5000 he said Moses did not give you the bread from heaven but my father gives you the true bread from heaven the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so we know in the New Testament that, that manna is a symbol of Jesus being the bread of life. And so we also know that the manna they complained about. They didn't want to have to eat manna all the time, and they complained about it, and God punished them, and it was sinful to complain about God's miraculous provision where they would come out and manna would be there in the morning, and they would collect all they would need, and it would sustain them all day long. And They didn't have to worry about how to be provided for. God provided for them. They couldn't store it. It would pass away, and then they'd have to depend on Him the next day. And, and that's exactly what a relationship with Jesus in the New Testament looks like. That, that the Yahweh that saves, which is what Jesus and the Joshua mean, He is the manna. He's the bread of life that we need each day to sustain us. That's why when Jesus prays the Lord's Prayer, He said, Give us this day our daily bread. Just the bread we need today. Just, just you today. Because that's one of the ways that, that we're truly going to fear Him and that other people are going to come to know Him. And then inside there was Aaron's staff that, that budded. And again, the people were rebelling and it was Aaron's staff that, that was a symbol of, of deliverance and hope because it, a dead staff came to life. And, and Jesus said that He was the vine and that we are the branches and that He brings dead things to life, and he'll produce fruit um, when there seems to be none. And, and it was really just a sin against Aaron's priesthood. They, they wouldn't follow Aaron's lead, and yet God delivered them. And so that was a reminder. The third thing that was in there was the law, the Ten Commandments. And we know that Christ is called the Word, and 
in John 1, the Word was with God, or was God, and the Word was with God. And so Christ is the author of the law. He is the Word made flesh, the Scriptures say. And the Ten Commandments were there, and and the first four commandments are about how to love God, and the next six are about how to love people. And, and you know, today we keep arguing about all these laws and new laws, but isn't it interesting that we just don't like the simple commands because we want excuses. And yet, that Ten Commandments, those Ten Commandments were to show the people their desperate need for God, their sinfulness and their need to commit to Him, and that God was someday going to send a Savior, a Messiah. And then what's amazing is on top of the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, when the priest went into the holies of holies and offered sacrifice for the people's sin, he sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat, and that represents the atoning blood of Jesus, that Israel, Israel's sin formed a barrier between God and them, and, and they were buried in that box. We're buried in our, our, we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. And yet, it was Christ's blood that stands between the law of God and the presence of God. And when the Lord saw that the blood was covering the sin, his wrath was satisfied, and he didn't take it out on the people. And so, through the blood of Jesus, the, the transgressions of God's people, we, we've been forgiven, we, we've been covered and cared for. And now Jesus, now the Lord and, and the Father, the Heavenly Father sees believers not through the lens of the law, but, but through the lens of what His Son did to, to pay the ransom to get us ready to be with Him. And you know what's amazing is these priests carrying this ark was a symbol of displaying the good news of God's promises, of what He had done and what He was going to do just like the cross is a symbol to us of that same thing. and Just like our lives are to be a symbol of us going out and surrendered to Christ as His priests, the New Testament says, and watching Him work so that people can know Him and while we go out fearing Him. He goes on in Luke 23, 26 there's a symbolism here. As they led Jesus away, this was Jesus' crucifixion, they see Simeon, a Syrian, who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including men and women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Zion, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. The people stood watching, and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. You know, Jesus tells them, weep for yourselves. I want you to be in awe and fear of what, what's happening right now and understanding. And, and, and this Joshua, this Jesus, the, the Yahweh who saves is, is leading his people. And his people are following him at this moment. But they don't understand that and they're rejecting him as they follow to see what will happen, not because they want to commit themselves and so Jesus is looking and saying, man, I want you to know that don't weep for yourselves, or don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. You're missing what this is really about. And thankfully, when we read in Joshua, that people have finally wept long enough, 40 years in the wilderness, to now look forward to the promises that God has for them. And Verse 5 of chapter 3, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. You know, consecrate means to, to, to get yourself ready, to, to, to um, 
prepare yourself, to set yourself apart. Um, and, and there's a sense of we consecrate and then we wait, right? So we consecrate ourselves, but yet we wait for Christ's second coming. We, we choose to consecrate ourselves, but we wait for his promises and his deliverance. And isn't it interesting that, that Joshua calls them to consecrate themselves first? He says, we have to consecrate ourselves. We have to commit ourselves. We have to, to show and, and express that we, we, we are sinful and that we want God and that we want to get rid of all the, the garbage in our lives and we're going to trust God to do that. They weren't waiting like earlier we just read in Luke where, well, God, once you show me that you can save me, then, then I'll trust you. You know, if, if you do this for me, then, then I'll commit to you. That's never been in Scripture how God works. He asks us to, to make that decision to trust Him and believe Him. Verse 6, it says, Then He said to the priest, Take the Ark of the Covenant and go ahead of the people. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant, went ahead of Him. The Lord spoke to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the waters, stand in the Jordan. He tells them to stand there. And, and you know, God is always going before us. But you know what's crazy is these priests had to wade in with the most prized object of the worship of God that they had. And at this time, we'll see in just a minute, that the Jordan River was at its flood stage. It would have been out of control, no way to cross, and yet... Joshua tells them to wade into it and stand. And can you imagine trying to stand in a flowing river that's in its flood and stuff's coming down the river and, and you're like, is this a good idea? And Okay, we'll do it. We'll obey. We'll step out even though this seems crazy because we just know that God is with us and we won't be afraid of this river. We're going to trust the Lord. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to exalt you, but not for you. Joshua, I'm going to exalt them so that they'll know that I'm with you. Not for your ego, but for your past righteousness, but because of who I am. And so they, they don't even say why the priests. At this point, the people don't even know why the priests are standing there. God hasn't told them that he's going to part the Jordan River. They're having to step out a little bit by faith each time. And so they're having to take their precious ark, walk it out into a flooded, crazy flooded river, and then wait to see what God's going to do because he hasn't told them yet. We go on in verse 9. It says, Then Joshua told the Israelites, Come closer and listen to the words of the Lord your God. He said, You will know that the living God is among you and that he certainly disposes before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gershashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth goes ahead of you in the Jordan, now choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. When the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, come to rest in the Jordan's waters, its waters will be cut off, and the water flowing downstream will stand in a mass. Stand up in a mass. I mean, can you imagine? This is a flooded, crazy river. Like, how is that going to happen? Now, granted, it had happened before at the parting of the Red Sea with Moses. And they walk through on dry land, and, and here God is again giving them that reminder of going through the water. Even today we have baptism as a reminder of 
of our consecration, of our cleansing ourselves, of our going through and committing ourselves to God and His plan and His promises. And that's always been a symbol, whether it was Noah in the ark or Moses or all the way through Scripture, there's a symbol of washing, cleansing, and, and baptism is that symbol. And so he says, look, come, and he tells them, come closer. You know, they've seen people die from getting too close to God in their wandering in the last 40 years. And he says, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to the words of the Lord your God. You know, that's one of our passions here at FX Church. We don't want you to, to listen to what we tell you. We genuinely want you to know God's word. We want you to listen to his word that he's given us. It's a gift. And isn't it beautiful that God says, I'm with you. I want to be with you. I don't, I'm not look out to get you. I, I, I want to lead you. And he says, I'm going to dispose the wickedness. You see, we may not have Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, and all those things, but I can tell you this, in my heart, there are a lot of things that those nations represented that I probably have. And God wants to dispose those things in our hearts just like he did for them. And so it's amazing to me that God through all of this is saying, you can trust me. I know that it looks bad. I know that you don't see a plan for how what's going to happen in relationships. You don't see a plan for how this is going to work and what's going to happen. But you can trust me and you can trust me to drive out from you the sin of the land and the sin of your heart. Man, what a beautiful picture. They're carrying this ark that, that represents, we know now, the, the, the salvation of God's people. In verse 14, it says, When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the ark of the covenant ahead of the people. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest seasons, but as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam, a city next to Zer. Zarethan, the water flowing downstream into the Sea of Aravath, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, and the people crossed opposite of Jericho. So they're, they're crossing opposite of the city that the spies went into, the first city that God has asked them to go in and to proclaim his promises to. Um, and so here we see the priest step into the water. It's interesting because here in verse 3.15, we see the priest step into the water, and then in Joshua 14.18, we see the priest step out of the water. So it's like there's almost a whole, there's a whole chapter of these priests having to stand in the water, stand in the middle of this raging river, watching as it backs up. And, and can you imagine the land at this time? I mean, if you take a river that's at flood stage and you back it up, can you imagine the backups downstream? They would have seen the flood probably in Jericho and wondered what was happening. This would have caused... I mean, to get everybody across would have taken a long time. There would have been a panic over the floods and the devastation. What a display of God's power all the way upstream to those who, who, uh, who claim to, 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 to not know Him and claim to, to deny and denied Him. And, and what a testimony downstream to those that weren't receiving the water they need and wondered why. I mean, this was really God making himself known and trying to put the reality of his power and, and awe and the fear of him in the hearts of the people. This was an act of mercy before God's people have to go to war. If the people of the land would have embraced what God was doing, they could have surrendered to him just like Rahab did 
God was trying to show his mercy. He was trying to show his power to his people so that they could know they could trust him. And he was trying to get the lands around them to fear him in this moment. Chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The priest carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. An entire nation. There were a lot of them. You know, our job in the New Testament as believers, so if you are a believer in Jesus, the Bible says that you are now a priest. You're a, a priest. You're of a royal priesthood. That you have a relationship that, that, that puts you in a position to be God's spokesman, spokesman to be His representative to those that don't know him yet, and to those that do know him, that you need to know his word. We need to be good priests. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man, and be strong. Your every action must be done with love. You know, that should be our heart. We live in a time right now where it seems like things are just flooding, and things are crazy, and where is God? And I know for me, I've got to find encouragement to to stay alert, to know what's going on, to read, to be alert, to know what God's Word says, not to be panicked and be tossed to and fro, to stand firm in the truths and the promises of the faith, to act like a man, to act like someone who has a purpose and a mission and knows that they've been called by God and to be strong and then make sure that as I do that, that that the actions that I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing because of love. Man, that's a lot, but that's exactly what these priests were representing when they stepped into those waters. See, it's not about getting my inheritance. It's about making his inheritance known and giving my life for others, taking that risk, leading them to make that happen. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Choose 12 men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing. Carry them with you and set them down at the place where you spend the night. So Joshua summoned the 12 men he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe, and said to them, Go across to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you lift a stone onto his shoulder, one for each of the Israelite tribes. Remember, there were 12 sons of Jacob that represented the 12 tribes. And this all goes back to the promise of Abraham and God fulfilling that promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now to Jacob's extended, his family, his extended family, Abraham's extended family. God is now fulfilling this promise. And he says, I want you to go grab 12 stones. So you've got 12 guys carrying these huge rocks and And he collects them, one from each tribe, and they're going to make a memorial to God in the place they're going to camp. And and it's interesting because the Bible tells us that that we are a house of living stones, which we'll see in a minute. But Joshua goes on to say in verse 4, chapter 6, so that this will be a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them, the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the the Jordan's waters were cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. The Israelites did just as Joshua had commanded them. 
The twelve men took the stone, took stones from the middle of the Jordan, one for each of the Israelite tribes, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the camp and set them down there. Isn't it interesting? You find that in the first time when the people come out of Egypt with Moses, they constantly are disobeying. They're constantly not listening. They refuse to submit. They, they just grumble and complain. And here you find all the way through the book of Joshua, a people ready to obey, ready to be led, ready to listen, ready to step out. And the only way they got there was because of the mess they went through to get there. And that's often the way it is with us, that that we need to get to know God and, and fear Him before we are ready to step out. And, and these men obey. They all go out. And this would have been kind of panicking because they're going out into the water probably closer than the thousand feet they're supposed to stay away from the ark. And they got to carry these rocks back. And while this would have been a tremendous privilege to be asked, there was probably like, man, this is going to be hard. and I'm a little worried, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey. You know, it's amazing to me that, that, that you see that there are two memorials because then we go on and we see in Joshua 4.9 that Joshua also set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And these stones are there to this day. Not our day necessarily, they might be, but when Joshua writes this, you could, they could go back and maybe when the Jordan was low and wasn't flooded and it was you know, during its drought season, they could see those large stones that were stacked up in the, in the middle of the river. But, but God has two memorials. He wants the people to remember that, that, that I led you from here and now you're here. That I brought you through. And it's kind of like the cross and the resurrection. That the cross is that reminder of what we, that we, what we died to. That, that, that again, those rocks symbolize the waters rushing over and burying them. And, and the rocks on the other side represent what we've been delivered, how we've been delivered and, and what God's done in our life. And, and it's an interesting parallel that he does these, these two different ones. And you know, it's amazing to me that Jesus himself was baptized in the Jordan River, probably right next to probably right where this happened. We'll, we'll look at that in a second. But what's amazing to me is just like Joshua asked for 12 stones, um, God rose up 12 men, 12 apostles, 12 disciples. Jesus got 12 disciples and he told them, we'll see in a minute, that they would be living stones. He told Peter that you are Peter, you are a pebble, but on this rock, myself, I will build the church. And so there's this stone imagery in 12. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible tells us to rid ourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you've tasted that the Lord is good. Coming to Him, a living stone, Rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. You yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Man, this passage right here is a picture of what happened. 
The people consecrated themselves. They got rid of the malice, deceit, all the mess. They desired the promises of God, the pure spiritual milk. The, to, they desired salvation. They desired for God to deliver them. And, and they had tasted in the wilderness that God was good through the manna and through his provision. And now they were coming to him. And he tells them, hey, take these stones. This would have been a reminder as Peter wrote to this that that we aren't dead stones. We are now living stones that God is using to build a memorial. That's the importance of the church. The church is to represent a memorial that's being built up for a city, for a community, that as we help one another do what 1 Peter 2 says, and we offer the sacrifices of our lives to this is what, how it's supposed to work so that people will know and so that we'll have even more and more awe of how great, more and more fear and awe of how great God is in our lives. Joshua 4.10 goes on to say, The priest carrying the ark continued standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people, in keeping with all that Moses had commanded Joshua. So even Joshua is obeying what Moses had told him. Then the people hurried across, and after everyone had finished crossing, the priest with the ark of the Lord crossed in the sight of the people. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh went in battle formation in front of the Israelites as Moses had instructed them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed the plains of Jericho in the Lord's presence. I mean, this is beautiful. you got to remember the Reubenites, the the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, their land was on the other side of the Jordan, and God said, you need to go fight. Your people can stay, but, but I'm asking you to, to, to come fight. And so these guys are actually obediently leading the way. All the rebellion, all the sin, all the mess that they had in the wilderness, we now find them dedicating, committing themselves to Yahweh who saves. To, to committing themselves to Joshua, Yahweh who saves. Saying, I believe that you're the one that will deliver us. You're the one that will make us holy. You're the one that will do what we can't do apart from you. And is that not what Jesus is for us? That's exactly what we see. You see, there's here in, in, this, in these verses in chapter 4, it's saying it's finished. They had taken their stand, and it was time to exit the water, to exit the, 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 the place they were in and move into the promised land. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. He crossed over from this world and gave his spirit to the Father, and then the Father resurrected him, came back to life, and, and, and represented himself on the earth to prove that he was God. And this is that picture again here. And you know, there's coming a day when Jesus will return because the battle that we're in is not complete. We're still having to take our stand. We have all that we need to cross given to us already, but we're just not crossed over yet. And the question is, will we tell the next generation? Will we build the stones? Will we we be like these priests that are obedient to do what God's called us to do? Joshua 4.14, it says, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him throughout his life. 
as they had revered Moses. The Lord told Joshua, command the priests who carry the Ark of the Testimony to come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up from the Jordan. When the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan and their feet stepped on the solid ground, the waters of the Jordan resumed their course, flowing over the banks as before. Man, they finally got to come up after standing there for so long. And God says, come up. And that's what Jesus says to us. He says, come, follow me. Come on, come up. I'll I'll lead you. But the question is, will we? Will we sit on the bank and just watch? Will we be panicked that there's a God that's coming that obviously is powerful and I don't know if I want his will and his plan for my life? You know, today we are priests carrying a different ark. We're carrying the message of Jesus. And we're to carry that message as long as he asks us to carry it. And it's a precious message. It's a message that represents our sin and represents God's deliverance. It represents our our rebellion and God's sacrifice. And that's exactly what we see here. In verse 19 of Joshua 4, it says, The people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern limits of Jericho. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken from Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future when your children ask their fathers, What is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. You know, we're supposed to share our testimonies, to, to share the testimonies of God. And if we remember that, verse that we read in Peter, that we are living stones, that we have a testimony to tell our children that my heart was hard as a rock. I was a dead stone and God brought me back to life. And now he is, he is building something with my life and with the life of his body, the church and with others. And we get to be a part of this. And, and, and that is letting your children know who God is and hopefully helping them have the fear and awe and reverence of God that he wants them to have. What's amazing here in this passage is it says on the 10th day of the first month, God led them to cross the Jordan River at one of the highest holy days of their calendar. This was Passover. It was the night that they left Egypt was the Passover night where they sacrificed the lamb. It was the Passover season when they crossed over the Red Sea. And we're going to see in a moment that they celebrate Passover together. God is purposefully laying out his plans. He has a plan. He doesn't do things randomly. He follows a plan. He he wants people to see. And that's one of the things why he does this on Passover. He didn't do it at a different time. He did it at Passover so that they would remember that he is the lamb, that he is the provision. He did it at this time so they wouldn't make another holiday of the Jordan crossing holiday. No, the Passover is the holiday. It is when God will pass over your sins and he will lead you and he will save you and he will forgive you. And man, isn't that awesome that God just added another layer to the story of his testimony and his deliverance, something that they would never forget. You know, it's interesting because when we look in John 1 in the Gospels, we see that there have been people that have been sent from the Pharisees and so They've been sent to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was actually baptizing people in the Jordan River right around where this event took place. That 
John the Baptist is looking and proclaiming repentance, consecration, saying that Yahweh's salvation is coming and he's baptizing. People are wading into the water, he's baptizing them, and they're stepping out of the water. And he's telling them, wait, God's Messiah is coming. And he probably is taking people and having them stand on one side of the bank, baptizing them and sending them out on the other. (laughs) Maybe not. But the symbolism, they would have known where John the Baptist was and why he was there. And so these Pharisees, these religious leaders, send people out and they ask, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? What they're talking about is the the messianic references which John said that he wasn't. He says, I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened at Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. You see, Jesus Christ, Jesus our Messiah, Yahweh who saves who is the Messiah, fulfills both the long history of baptism and the Passover. In fact, it hardly seems accidental to see this passage in John and not realize when we read further in the passage that this is all about Jesus. That even in the Old Testament, it's pointing to who He is in every aspect of the ark, in every aspect of the movement, everything that's happened. And it's amazing that, that, that what God is doing. We go on in John 1, chapter 29. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. I don't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might... I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel so that the people might know and that we might fear. John is baptizing, saying, I want to give you the awe and fear and reverence of God so that so that you'll know, so that you'll know the Messiah when he comes. And then he sees Jesus and he says, that's him. That's that's the Messiah. That's the Passover lamb. And you know, we have to remember that this would have been very significant because we'll see in the passage that there's an indication of when this was happening. And if this was probably John was baptizing people on their way, traveling, and he would have invited them from the roadside that traveled by the Jordan here on their way to Passover in Jerusalem. That's probably when some of these events that we're reading right here in John were. And then in John 1.32, it says, And John testified, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, The one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. And so earlier, some scholars believe that Jesus was traveling down from the Passover. He was traveling from from Galilee, which was 70 miles away, to be baptized by John the Baptist 70 miles away. Why would someone travel 70 miles? Well, it's because they were traveling for one of the holy days, most likely Passover. And so probably what happened is on Jesus' way to Passover, he consecrated himself. He went, he got baptized by John, and now Jesus is traveling back after the Passover festival. And these are the words that John is saying. We see in verse 35 of John 1, again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. 
The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked, Why, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. It goes on to say, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought, us to, brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock or pebble. The next day he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. So here they are having celebrated Passover. They're traveling back. These were all guys probably from Galilee. It was common for them to travel in a caravan. If you remember in Luke's gospel in chapter 2, Jesus had traveled with his parents to go celebrate the festival in Jerusalem. And then on the way back, the caravan traveling back to Galilee was traveling together to Nazareth. And they looked around and said, oh no, we forgot Jesus. And his parents had to leave the safety of the caravan to travel three days back to find Jesus who was teaching in the temple and take him back, a dangerous journey back because they didn't have the support of the group traveling and robbers would have been on the roads looking to steal people's ties and offerings and maybe things they bought when they were in Jerusalem. And so this dangerous 70 mile journey, and it would have been walking so they wouldn't they would stop and rest and camp out. That's how you would do it. You wouldn't walk 70 miles in one day. This was a country shuts down and you journey for these three festivals, of Passover being the greatest. And all the Jewish males were supposed to, to go and, and leave their places unprotected, which is what the, the Reubenites and the Gadites and uh, Manasseh did The men left to travel over to war and left the women unprotected. It's the same thing. They would have traveled from Galilee, and now they're traveling back. And as they're traveling back, people are believing that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the one that was promised to all the way back in the Old Testament. He is the Yahweh who saves, the Joshua who is leading his people and they're following him. And so Jesus, Yahweh who saves, this Joshua is saying, follow me. Come on, follow me. Man, you, the symbolism of all of this is amazing. And all of it, what you see Andrew saying, what you see John saying is saying, look, we're telling you because we want people to know that he is our salvation. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. As we wrap up, Joshua 4 verse 24 says, This is so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. I love that this chapter wraps up and after all of this, he says, all of this is so that the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty. What what Jesus did, what he came to do as the New Testament, actual Yahweh who saves and the pictures in the Old Testament that show us who Jesus is, and puts this whole story, this narrative together that in the Old Testament, they were saved by looking forward to the salvation. In the New Testament, we're saved looking at what Jesus did for our salvation. And all of us, the entire history of God's people is looking forward to the day when salvation comes for all of us. It's all by faith and all of His Word, and 
all of the things he does is so that we may know and that we might have awe and reverence as we wait. You know what? We may not get out of the wilderness. We may be part of the generation that doesn't get to see his coming. But we need to be ready. We need to consecrate ourselves. We need to be sure that, that we know him, that we fear him, and that we're taking that message out to others and that that is what motivates our lives above anything else. In Micah 6, verse 3, it says, My people, what have you done? Or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what Bala, king of Moab, proposed, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from the Acacia Grove. Remember, that's where they just left from where we started this, to Gilgal, which is where they end up and they put the stones so that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous acts, that you may know his righteous acts, you may be in awe of his acts. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Verse 8 says, Mankind, God has told you what is good. And what is it the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? The voice of Yahweh calls out to the city, And it is wise to fear your name. Pay attention to the rod and the one who ordained it. And that is a message for us today. Everything God does, even the chaos that we see around us, the rods that we see coming out, God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to get us to call out to Him. He's trying to get us to to see what true justice looks like, what true faithfulness and mercy looks like, what true humility looks like, so that we'll cry out, that we'll listen for His voice, and that we'll ask Him to come and warn people that He is coming. See, that's what the message was in Joshua. It's what the message was when Jesus came is the message that Micah shared when the people were at this point getting ready to go into captivity and he was warning them of what was coming and how they were going to have a difficult time acting justly and being faithful and walking humbly with God in the midst of a disastrous mess of slavery and captivity. But isn't it awesome that our God understands all this, that he has a plan, that he's good, that we can trust him. And even if we don't see the inheritance, the promises in our lifetime, and it may seem that he's distanced, we can still have awe and reverence of him and get another generation ready. And we can even get our heart ready so that one day when we cross over from this life to the next, we're ready to be that stone that he places in his eternal kingdom to be used for his purposes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to dive into your word this morning. Thank you for your precious promises. Jesus, thank you that the entire scripture points to what you did, that we needed a savior from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned. And I thank you that you are that savior. Lord, help us to consecrate ourselves, to give ourselves to you. As Peter talked about, as Joshua talks about, that we would look and inspect our hearts and our lives and surrender to you. And would we trust you? And would we be people that that proclaim who you are so that all may know and may we fear you so that we have an awe that just spills out to other people. Lord, it's not easy. 
We have a world that fights us, but Father, we have a God in you that is faithful to his promises. Help us to cling to the promise, the promised inheritance that will come to one day when you come again and bring your final judgment and you take those who know you to be with you on the new earth in the new heaven forever. We thank you for those promises. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning in the podcast, and we pray that if you need help, please reach out to us. Uh, We pray that this might change you. If you need help in changing, getting, consecrating yourself, getting your life in the right place, I, I pray that these words would encourage you to take that step of faith, to take your stand, to recognize the promises of who you are in Jesus and and to live those out. And if we can help in any way, be sure to contact us at the website, fxchurch.com. All the information's there. The pastor's information's are there. Me, Matt Shockney, love to talk to you. So we just thank you for the opportunity to, to walk through God's Word together. Have a great day.